0: You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on Lance's ministry, visit LanceLambert.org. How are we entering into the presence of the Lord? Is it on the basis of our own righteousness? Do we do this unknowingly? In this episode, Lance teaches from Psalm 118 about the covering of the Lord and taking refuge in the Lord. 118th Psalm. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy, or oh, steadfast love, endureth forever. Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that His Mercy endureth forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. Out of my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me. The Lord is on my side among them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about In the name of the Lord I will cut them off. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about. In the name of the Lord I will cut them off. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord I will cut them off. Thou didst thrust, sore at me that I might fall. But the Lord helped The Lord is my strength and song, and He is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live. And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore. But he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will enter into them. I will give thanks unto the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter into it. I will give thanks unto thee. For thou hast answered me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he hath given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will give thanks unto thee. Thou art my God. I will exalt thee, O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy, his steadfast love endureth forever." This wonderful psalm that we have read once or twice in these last weeks, especially in connection with this whole subject, of covering. It was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. I don't think you have to go very far into it to see why. All I can do this morning in the little time that we now have left to us is to draw out just one or two lessons. There are so many ways of looking at this psalm. It is one of the great messianic psalms we know that it speaks of the lord jesus christ he is the one who's cut off the enemies of the lord he is the one of whom it can be said the right hand of the lord doeth valiantly who else has cut off the enemies for us could we do it unfortunately the enemy is inside of us unfortunately for all of us in our natural state There is an unholy alliance with Satan. And therefore we have already within us the traitor. We have the the kind of treachery that undoes us before we started. Who has cut off the enemies of the Lord? Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one... Who has cut off the enemy. It is therefore quite right to see this psalm as the most wonderfully, a wonderful prediction of the work of our Lord Jesus. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Could it ever be said more truly than of the Lord Jesus? The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Always in Scripture, the right hand of God speaks of the place of power, speaks of the place of authority. You think of those words in Psalm 2, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Though the nations rage and the people imagine vain things, though they rebel against the Lord and say we will cut his sore cords asunder, Yet the Lord says, I've set my king. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. And the right hand of the Lord is exalted. Where is our Lord Jesus Christ today? At the right hand of the Lord. Far above all principality and power and every name that's named. We could go through the psalm and we could see straight away that for the most part it is. Uh, a, a, a wonderful messianic psalm we read these words I shall not die but live we know that they are spoken of the Lord Jesus the psalmist is speaking for the Lord Jesus I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord we of course all know in verse 22 that the stone which the builders rejected which has become the head of the corner is is the Lord Jesus himself. And indeed, he took these words to refer to himself. And we know, of course, that the Apostle Paul takes these words, or has them in mind. We know that the Apostle Peter has these words in mind in the letters that they wrote. Oh, there's so much in it. But how can we look at it in the little time that we have this morning? I want to look at it from the point of... uh, view of the believer, the believer, you and me, sinners saved by grace. What does this psalm have for us? Well, the first thing I just want you to note is that it begins and ends with the mercy of the Lord. And no child of God can go very far unless he begins to recognize that his conversion. And far before his conversion, the ways of God unknown to him, before he even knew the Lord, are all the mercy of the Lord. From beginning to end, every development of the Christian life is covered by the mercy of the Lord. See how the psalm begins, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Not mercy that endures for the time of my conversion. Not mercy that endures when I failed. Once, twice, three times. But mercy which endures forever. From eternity to eternity. The mercy of the Lord. Mercy. Mercy written over all God's ways with me. Mercy written through all His acts. Mercy that brings me to know Him. Mercy that takes me, as the Apostle Paul put it, from glory to glory. Mercy that will finally present me before His face with joy. Without blemish mercy of the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Any child of God who has seen the mercy of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord, must be a thankful person. If we are crabby Christians, it is a sure sign that we have not seen the mercy of the Lord. We don't understand it. We don't recognize it. We somehow think that God owes us something. That he ought to do this and that and the other for us. But when we recognize that we not only have no claim upon the Lord. No claim at all. But we deserve his wrath and his anger. Then we begin to realize what the mercy of the Lord means. Oh give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Now this word mercy is one of the words that, over which translators have always had very great trouble. That's why our authorized version translated it mercy. And um, you will see in your English revised and the American standard version that it is loving kindness. And then you will see that in your Revised Standard Version, it is steadfast love. This Hebrew word is really quite impossible to put into English. It is this little word, chesed, and it means simply covenant love, or love within a, a union. Some people have called it the kind of love that ought to be within marriage, a covenant love. A love that's made through a pact. And so it's spoken of as mercy. Sometimes it's spoken of as loving kindness. Sometimes as steadfast love. It's got all these thoughts in it. It's not just and only the steadfast love that ought to be between a a married couple who've made vows to one another, who've covenanted together to share their life. It's got much more in it than that. And that's why it is perfectly right that the authorised version, translators, the King James translators, um, put mercy. And perhaps after all, when all is done and said, mercy is, in the final analysis, the loveliest word of all. However, perhaps we shouldn't always think that uh, um, of love in a marriage relationship as being mercy. Um, <coughs> Uh, It may be there are faults and failings in every kind of relationship. And the thought is that steadfast love is the kind of love that comes, the kind of love that perseveres, the kind of love that endures, the kind of love that will not be partaker of failings, but does not go off in a huff over them. So we find the psalmist says, Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel, that people chosen by the Lord in his sovereign election, let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. And who else but Israel, I might add, can say that his mercy endureth forever. What a picture. Of on the one side, the steadfast love of the Lord, and the other, the absolute failure of man. Jacob, have I loved, says the Lord. Can you explain it? No, we're up against the mystery of divine love and divine character. The... Sovereign election of God. Let Israel now say, Are you a son of Abraham by faith? Do you belong to the true Israel of God? Are you part of that which God has been doing over thousands and thousands of years, calling out a people for His name? Let Israel now say that His mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. This is the priesthood. And are you and I not priests? Has not God made us kings and priests? Unto him we have been loosed from our sins in the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and have been made priests and kings. Unto him. His God. We are priests. Do you know what it is to be a priest? No priest could ever enter into the presence of the Lord unless they were clothed with those garments. Those glorious garments. Every part of their clothing was dictated by the word of God. Something on the head. Something on the body. Something on the legs. Something on the feet. Garments of salvation, garments of praise. How, oh, how can anyone enter into the presence of the Lord in the rags of their own filthiness? Our own unrighteousnesses. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Many Christians' trouble why they can't open their mouth and praise the Lord is simply because it is dead works that are still their basis. They somehow think that apart from robing themselves in the righteousness of Christ, apart from the garment of salvation, they must present something of themselves to God, and He's going to say, "Well, well, well, I, 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 I must say, that's that's much better." And so we all come into the presence of the Lord with the idea that somehow we've got to present something of ourselves before Him, and therefore the devil comes alongside as well and says. You don't think God's going to see any good in you today. Of course not. Think of what you were thinking this morning. Think of that sharp word. Think of that action. Think of this. Think of that. Well, you're out. There's a displeasure. But there are garments of salvation. There are garments of praise. We put them on in a deliberate act. We come into the presence of the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. I am not here because I am anything in myself. I cannot present anything to you. Even the best of my ability, of my talents. It's all to no avail. But Lord, I come clothed in the garments of salvation. robed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like those priests of old. And I say, the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Let them now that fear the Lord say, His mercy endureth forever. That is a quality almost unfound in these days. The fear of the Lord. Not that cringing kind of fear that cowers away. Self-consciousness personified. No, but that sensitive awareness of the presence of the Lord. That sensitiveness to the Lord and to the things of God which checks us from saying something. That stops us from certain acts. Awareness of the Lord. Summed up in the prophets who used to use this phrase, the Lord before whom I stand. They were on earth. But they always said, just as if they were in heaven, the Lord before whom I stand. They had such an awareness of the Lord, such an awareness that they were dealing with a person, not a machine, not a set of of doctrines, but with a person, infinite, majestic, truth and love. The Lord before whom I stand. Let them now that fear the Lord say his loving kindness, his mercy endureth forever. You will see that both the beginning of the psalm and the end of the psalm, verse 28 and 29, correspond. Thou art my God and I will give thanks unto thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. This psalm, we don't know when it was written and we don't know by whom. It was written. We have many fascinating suggestions. This phrase, for his mercy endureth forever, was first sung when the temple was dedicated in Solomon's day. And then again we find that when David, before that occasion, took the ark of the Lord up from the house of ubed Edom, they said, let, let, let us say, the, let us sing, the priests sang, For the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. So we know at least those two occasions, once when the Ark of the Covenant came up to Jerusalem, the other when the house was dedicated, that uh, they sang this. It has been suggested that this was the occasion when the house was rebuilt in Zerubbabel's day, after it was destroyed after the exile in Babylon, when the people of God went back and they rebuilt the house of God and rebuilt the cities. They say, here was this occasion when this psalm was sung. It was the great psalm of dedication in the day of Zerubbabel. Others have found an extraordinary relationship between this psalm and the book of Nehemiah. Pointing out that some of the phrases used in this psalm in a unique way were the very phrases that Nehemiah himself used when he prayed to the Lord at the dedication of the walls of Jerusalem. Well, what we can say is this. This psalm's to do with recovery. Recovery. It's all to do with recovery. The ark of the Lord had gone into a far country. It came back. And the great song was, His mercy endureth forever. The temple was rebuilt, well built shall we say, tabernacle to temple, built, the purpose of God fulfilled in the land. And that great word of God, the place wherein I cause my name to dwell forever, that was it. All oh, we can think of the time when the temple was rebuilt after the destruction and later on the walls. Now you and I are in just such days when there is so much ruin and so much disintegration and so much destruction and division. When on every side we hear things that appall us. Even amongst Christians we find superficiality, shallowness, worldliness, little real understanding, little, real, spiritual life. Where do you find a real prayer meeting, a real prayer meeting, where people get on their knees and tackle things? Where do you find people really praising the Lord from the heart? Where do you find people really speaking in genuine, normal, contemporary language? about God, preaching the Gospel. We are also in these days. How is anything going to be done? The mercy of the Lord endureth forever. Not through our zeal, nor through our uh, work or activity, nor even through our knowledge all these things may be important, but through the mercy of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord, the Lord has set His heart upon something. And the most wonderful thing of all is that it says in the book of Revelation that the bride hath made herself ready. And that's my one great hope. It doesn't say God made her ready, it's that the bride hath made herself ready. And so we look to God that somehow or other the people of God all over the world will be stirred by the Holy Spirit to get themselves ready for the coming of the Lord. See how the psalmist speaks in verse 5 Out of my distress I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. And the word he uses for distress is a narrow defile. Hedged in by towering walls. And the large place is an open plain. Set in a place which has no walls at all. Out of my distress. Hedged in. With an awful feeling of spiritual claustrophobia. I called. Upon the Lord. The Lord answered me. And put me in a large place. Where the horizons were great. No horizons, tremendous horizons. That's what the Lord does for us when we call upon Him. He takes us out of a place where we've got no horizon at all. We can only see the two walls of our own problem. And sets us in a place where we can see horizons, the far horizons of the purpose of God. And then He goes on. What can man do to me? If God can do this for me, what can man do to me? He goes on and says, it's better to put, take refuge in the Lord. That's covering. To get into the Lord. To take refuge in Him than to put your trust in man. Now many of us have found that out. And all of us will find that out. If we live long enough. It's better to, put, to take refuge in the Lord than to put your trust in man. Have you yet found out that you can't put your trust even in Christian men? I'm afraid it's true. It's better to take refuge in the law than even Christian men or women. But mark the next verse, it's better to take refuge in the law than to put your confidence in princes. That is the most noble of men. Some of us would uh, certainly not put our trust in any Tom, Dick or Harry. But if a Cecil or a Clarence came along, we might, we might feel that there are a certain, a streak of nobility, a certain background, a certain princeliness of human character that would entice us to put our trust in them. But the psalmist has found through bitter experience, put not your trust in man, put not your trust in the princes of men. It's better To take refuge in the Lord. That's your covering. That's your hiding place. That's your way through. Then he goes on and tells us just what it means to take refuge in the Lord. Men and princes couldn't have done this, the psalmist says. All nations compassed me about. In the name of the Lord I will cut them off. They compassed me about, yea, They compassed me about. Now what he's trying to tell us is this, by repeating this three times, that this wasn't a frontal attack. It was a complete encirclement. They were on four sides. Now anyone who knows even a little, and I know next to nothing, about military strategy, will tell you that it is much easier to have a frontal attack where you know where where the enemy is coming and where you can put all your forces and to be attacked on four sides at once. All nations compassed me about. They compassed me about. Yea, says the psalmist, just to get the lesson home. They compassed me about. Then he says, in the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. What faith! How is it possible to be completely encircled by such nations and to say, I will cut them off? I! I! We'll cut them off. In the name of the Lord. That's covering. He's not going out. He's in Christ. He's in the Lord. He's taken his refuge in the Lord. So he can use the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. As a member of his body. As being in him. Joined to him. I cut them off. Then he goes on just so that we don't escape this lesson in verse 12. They compassed me about like bees. Well, now, dear friend, I hope none of you have ever had such an experience of being compassed about by bees. I once saw a swarm of bees, uh, a hive that swarmed, and I've never seen anything like it. It rolled along the ground like a great buzzing, dark mass. I was only too glad that I wasn't in it. Have you ever seen anyone, I remember once in Egypt, a beekeeper, covered with bees? They didn't sting him because uh, he was the beekeeper and he seemed to be a very gentleman. man. But I've never, i never forget the sight of him, covered with bees. Compassed me about. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched at the fire of thorns. Those little thorn bushes you find in the desert which go up in an instant. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. It's better to take refuge in the Lord. Princes couldn't do this. Let alone. The men couldn't do this, let alone princes. Go on, very simply. The Lord, he says, thou didst thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. Oh, if only we knew such a covering. If we only knew that covering is not negative safety. It is positive victory. It says stand, withstand, having done all, stand. That's what it says in Ephesians 6. It doesn't say run forward. It just says stand, withstand, Having done all, stand. All to be found in Christ. To be found in Christ not only safe and secure from all alarms and fears and assaults of the evil one, but to be found in Christ in the place of positive triumph. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist says, I will cut them off. In the name of the Lord. I'm not going to be enticed out to take on the devil. But in Christ, I cut them off. In the name of the Lord. He's become my salvation. My strength and song. My strength and song. He has become my salvation. Then he goes on. The voice of rejoicing and salvation. In Hebrew, salvation and deliverance are the same words. So here we are thinking not only of our salvation, but a bit of deliverance. He, uh, the voice of rejoicing and deliverance, is in the tents of the righteous. Now he goes on, the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. He starts off by saying, the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. That is, there's great bravery and power in the right hand of the Lord. Courage, morale. It does valiantly. We speak of a valiant man, a valiant fighter, valiant warrior. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. Let us be compassed round Let us be blockaded. Let them lay siege to us. The right hand of the Lord will do valiantly. And then he explains why. Because the right hand of the Lord is exalted. (laughs) We've got a kind of um, spiritual air force. It's not only that we have uh, a kind of army on the ground, but we've got a kind of uh, aerial view of things. The right hand of the Lord is exalted, far above all principality and power. One word from the king. And the enemies are finished. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. That's why it does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And so he goes on. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Well, we haven't the time to go through it all because our time's gone. But you see in verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. You know, the whole of human history, the whole of biblical history and of human history is explained in terms of a building program, spiritual. God has a vast construction program on hand. And the building is the city of God, the eternal city of God. That's God's building program. That bride, putting it in another way, that temple in which he will dwell forever. And you see what it says? The stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. The Lord has got the foundation in, in spite of enemy attack and antagonism. Isn't that marvelous? It is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What is this day? Are we still in this day? We certainly are. This is the day. It's not just a particular day. The uh, uh, Apostle John in Revelation 1 speaks of being in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I don't think that's just uh, uh, Sunday. The day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. He was in the Spirit on the day of the Lord. Caught up, as it were, into God's day. Oh, dear friend, we see all around us man's day. But we Christians are in fact in God's day. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Ah, they said that of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was, of course, one of the great messianic prophecies. Shall we not one day say it too? When the top stone comes forth, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. You see, this whole psalm is to do with the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord and the right hand of God are connected. The mercy of the Lord endure forever. Take the sacrifice and bind it to the horns of the altar. Is that where you are? Is that where I am? Bound to the horns of the altar. Safety. Only in him. Triumph. Only in him. Perseverance. Only in him. Inheritance. Shall we pray? O Father, today we have thought so much about thy grace, about that grace of thine which has appeared to all men, bringing salvation with it. We want to thank thee together for that mercy of thine which endures forever, that steadfast love Of thine, which endures forever. O Father, may we each one of us know what it is to take refuge in Thee, to know how to take the name of the Lord. O teach us, we pray, every one of us, and we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. May you belong to the true Israel of God. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.